Okay, let's go ahead and get started maybe a, a minute early tonight, if, that, if that's okay. Um, I guess that means I have to finish a minute early, though. Well, that'll be up to Stan. He's after me. Stan will lead us in our prayer, prayer time tonight. But um, Let me just kind of in review, and then we'll read our scripture for the evening, and then we'll, we'll pray. But just um, a brief review, kind of setting the scene for where we are. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're, we're in chapter 5, this is chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. But, and Stephen mentioned uh, some of this, uh, really the first in the introduction. But just picture the scene on the north side of the Sea of Galilee on a hill where it would be customary for the teacher to, to have the people up on the hillside, the teacher sitting uh, and, and teaching. And if we, if we picture that on this Sermon on the Mount, that would be, that would be Jesus, the, the teacher here. Uh, Matthew's gospel provides uh, Jesus' complete teaching of what the character of a child of God in his kingdom should look like. That's really the whole, the whole theme of, the, of this sermon. We see the teaching of Jesus throughout the gospels, but here in, in these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it, it's really condensed uh, in, a, in a concise format in this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen clearly in the Sermon on the Mount messages so far that the crowd was primarily concerned with the act of sins like murder and adultery, uh, just the, the outward acts of those. But Jesus was going deeper to the intentions of the heart. We're going back uh, to look at two portions of the Sermon on the Mount this evening. We're, we're going to look at two uh, in Matthew 5, going back to Matthew 5. But this is 38 through 42. We'll look at revenge and retribution. And then in verses 43 through 48, loving your, your enemies. So we'll look at those two topics tonight. But if you will, let's stand and let's go ahead and read Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Uh, let me read that, and, and then we'll pray, and, and we'll, we'll get started. But Matthew 5, 38 reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And then verse 43. Again, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And then verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just come to you tonight, Father, with uh, open hearts, with, with humble hearts. And,
Father, as we continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount and we, uh, Father, hear, hear from you, uh, direct words from you to, to the disciples, which includes us today as we, as we hear your, your teaching, Father, in these, in these three chapters and tonight specifically dealing with these ten verses. I just uh, pray, Father, that you would bless this time and just um, I pray that we would hear your word, that we would be obedient to your, your word, and, and living your word out is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be, be seated. We need to remember, as we study Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, again, he's, pre- he's preaching here and talking to true followers. There were others, there were others present, but the message was primarily to Christians. Jesus was teaching them what kind of people they were to be in contrast with the carnal notions that these apostles and, and what we know to now as apostles, but then disciples, that, that they still had. Um, they supposed that they, uh, Jesus was coming and he was going to overthrow the, the Roman government. They supposed that a uh, new government would be established and they would be part of this new empire. And they, they thought their enemies would would come under subjection to them and not kind of the other way around in, in his teaching here. This is what the flesh always wishes and seeks, and, and that's what Jesus was getting at here was the, the, um, the, the flesh in these, in these people that were his followers. In this first section we'll look at tonight, Jesus deals with revenge and retribution. His straight, his, he, he straightens out really a misunderstanding they had about the law of Moses, and we, we just read that in verse 38, but uh, let's kind of break, break this down and look at this. In verse 38, it says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In, in that statement, uh, Jesus here is referring to a Mosaic law that we find in Exodus 21, uh, 24, where it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. And these religious teachers of the day, they twisted that. They, they distorted that really badly. Um, th- this, old, this was an Old Testament uh, civil law that God intended as instructions for judges to use when administering uh, civil action. Um, and it it's, it's really was only for, for that, for civil uh, civil cases. This law actually limited retribution by the government, making sure they couldn't over um, over punish for for a crime. This was not an obligation for personal relationships. So we're looking at two completely different realms here when we look at that, and that helps to understand it. We're looking at civil uh, versus personal. The religious leaders they were distorting God's word to say something it didn't say. Uh, it's like if, saying, if you poke me in my eye, I'm obligated to poke you in yours. They, they were justifying personal retaliation by, by adding this to the law. Be like me at a stoplight and someone rear-ends me, and you, am I obligated to throw it in reverse and ram them back? You know, no, it's, it's something I shouldn't do, but under this law, that's what they could do. Um, the funny story, Jackie, and I wasn't too funny for her, but we were um, we were moving furniture off our deck to to stain our deck, and I, I've got one good arm, you, you know, still, and so I was trying to do my end, and I dropped 
kind of a heavy chair on her foot, you know, and, and she, you know, di didn't like that too much, but, but she didn't retaliate, I'm thankful to say. She, under this law, she could have stomped me back, you know, on the foot, but, uh, but she, didn't, she didn't apply that o Old Testament law, fortunately for me. But in saying that, it, it's important to make sure we're not distorting Scripture to mean something it doesn't. That's important for us, um, for all of us. The context in the sphere must be considered. Let's look at a couple examples of this. Did, um, in God, we know God did say in the Old Testament to bring animal sacrifices. We, we, know, we know that he did that. Does that mean we do that today? No, we, we don't. The animal sacrificial system was fulfilled with Jesus going, going to the cross. So we, we don't do that uh, today because of that. Uh, the rich young ruler, what was he told to do? To go, to go sell all he had um, and, and give it to the poor. Does that mean to be one of his disciples? Is that what we have to do? No, it's, it's, it's not saying that. It's saying that that man, that was his Lord of his life and that was his God. So he, he had to do that. So we need to really follow the example of the Bereans. In, in Acts 7.11, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so, which is how we should be when it comes to, to God's word. But here in verses 39 through 42, we see a series of, of vivid examples where Jesus calls for an unselfish attitude. This, um, which not only refuses, it refuses to retaliate, but also it doesn't resist. Even when we would legally have the right to do so, such an attitude is one which uh, subordinates one's own rights to the benefit of others. Verse, 30, verse 39, Jesus begins to clear up this false understanding of this civil versus the personal law. By saying in verse 39, but I tell you, you do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. That's not, a natural, that's not our natural instinct. Our natural instinct is to strike back. And if someone hits me, I want to naturally strike, strike back even, even harder. It, it helps really to, to understand this, um, turning the other cheek, to understand what this slap was. In, in Jewish practice, they would back, use the back of their hand to slap someone, which really wasn't meant to be a physical, um, to harm that person, not like a fist, but, it, but it, was, um, it was an insult, and that's what it was meant, as an insult to that person. It, um, it, just like um, today, I mean, there's, um, we have some young people in, in high school age in, in here, in, in the room, I mean, some of the things that they go through in school, um, some of the bullying and, and, you know, some of the hard things that they, they deal with, those are, those are insults. Uh, some of the things on social media now that um, people say ab about us or we, or we read, um, intolerance and, you know, bigotry of, of Christians, those things, are all, those things are all insults. And those are the, 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 really the kind of things here that, that Jesus wants us to focus on in, in uh, not retaliating. 
There's a story of a, a, a preacher in the early 1900s who literally turned the other cheek. And, and sometimes we may be called to do that in a literal sense, is to take physical abuse. And this guy was a, an old street fighter in the early 1900s before he was converted. Uh, and he, and he, he became a preacher, so t- a tough old guy, big, huge man. And um, he was in the pulpit going through this, this, very, this very text. And as an illustration, he had anybody that wanted to in the audience to come up and s- smack him, you, you know, hit, hit, him in, hit, him, hit him in the jaw. And he just stood there, stood there and, and took it. And there was one man, I guess he probably didn't like the preacher too much, but he, he took him up on it. He did it. Uh, the guy wasn't a believer. And the story goes that uh, a couple years after this incident, this guy looked up this preacher, the guy that had hit the preacher, looked him up and said that changed his heart toward, toward Christianity. So, um, again, the text not really talking about really probably taking a physical blow to the jaw, but, you know, it, it, it could be something that uh, if, if it means someone come to, coming to Jesus, something we may be called to do. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is saying that the obedient Christian has learned to not retaliate. That's one of the that's the second point there, uh, Dylan. Um, is we we should learn not to retaliate and not retaliate when insulted. We see Jesus living out this principle. We see he was insulted, didn't we? I mean, over and over he was insulted. Um, he was he was called uh, a lot of things: a glutton, a drunkard. Uh, illegitimate, a blasphemer, a, a madman. He was mocked and laughed at while he hung on the cross for our sins. But what were some of his last words? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, he, he, didn't lash, he didn't lash out. There's three wrong observations in this text, and uh, let me just give you those. <clears throat> it, it is wrong to think that Jesus means a physical attack cannot be resisted or defended against. That's not what this is saying. Jesus does not mean if a person hits you across the, the right side of your head with a baseball bat that you've got to let, you know, let them do it to the, to the other side. Uh, we should, you can protect yourself. It's wrong to think Jesus means that there is no place for punishment or retribution in our society. And I think sometimes we have gone down too far down that road. Jesus here speaks to personal relationships, not to proper functions of the government in restraining evil, as we see in Romans 13, 1 through 4, which is very plain there, the uh, uh, submission to authorities and the power the authorities have to punish wrongdoing. I must turn my cheek when I'm uh, personally insulted, but the government has a responsibility to restrain evil man from physical assault. The police are not to turn the other cheek when insulted, and we as society need to thank and get behind the police for doing, for, for doing their job. It's also wrong to, to think Jesus means evil should never be resisted. Jesus demonstrated in, in his life that evil should be resisted, such as when he turned the tables over in the, in the temple when the money changers were misusing God's, um, God's house, um, and he, he chased them out with a whip. And then uh, Christ followers should do more than the law requires. 
Not, not, only should we, um, not, not only should we not retaliate, we should go one step further. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. We read that in, in verse 40. Under the law of Moses, the outer cloak couldn't be taken from a person. You could take the inner garments because a person usually would have two sets of clothes. So um, a shirt had some value if you were sued in court and you lost then, um, then the, the one person who won the case, they could, they could take that inner garment, but they couldn't take that cloak that people use. They usually had just one, and that would keep, keep them warm. But Jesus said, if a person takes you to court and you lose the lawsuit, display a deliberate act of love and give your cloak also. Verse 41 goes on to say, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Jesus is again, again is saying we are to t- take the command uh, of, of these evil impositions. We are, we are to um, make a deliberate choice to give more than what was required. And this scenario is talking about a time in Judea uh, under Roman, uh, when they were under Roman military o- occupation. The, a Roman soldier could command a Jew to carry his backpack or his sack he could command them to carry it for one mile, but only one mile, and he, he, he wouldn't have to carry it any further. But can you imagine the, um, a Jew that would despise doing that? They despise the, the Roman government and the soldiers anyway, but um, for them to have to carry that backpack at that one mile, dropping that backpack you know, right there on that one-mile mark and with uh, you know, just a disgusting look or evil eyes, uh, looking up at that Roman soldier and and, you know, walking off in disgust. Jesus said he told them not to do that. He told them to carry it another mile. Go beyond the mile required by law and give it another mile out of free choice of love. In verse 42, uh, it says, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Christians should help those who are truly in need, and we do that, and we we know that. But they are not required to give foolishly. It says in in Matthew 7, 6 um, about casting pearls to to the pigs that will just trample trample you and and end up trampling over what you've given and trampling you as well. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 that a lazy person who is not in... um, who, who is in, in need that won't work, it, it says you need to be wise in that case. And, and instead of just giving to that person, you need to, you, you need to uh, in love, work with that person. So, but when it, what it boils down to, the only limit to this kind of sacrifice is the limit that love itself will impose. It's loving to give someone... Um, that's manipulated you is that loving that that someone has done that well it it could be um, if it will transform that person and you know it it may be but it may not be the best thing to um, the the guy on the side of the street you you know that you that you see um, you know in Starbucks uh, the 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 next morning uh, eating a a good breakfast and drinking a $5 coffee, you know. So um, what we used to do, I know we used to carry 
stuff in our car like um, toiletries and toothpaste and things like that to hand to hand out things that were practical that they could use instead of instead of just money so it's just it, we, we need to be wise in that <clears throat> we we see Paul uh, repeating the I, idea here of, of Jesus do not overcome do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that's in Romans 12 9 through 21 and as we close out this first section I want to um, I want to read these verses in Romans 12 9 through 21 which are marks of the of a true Christian let's look at that if you want to turn to that Romans 9 12 through 21 Marks of a, a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it. To the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink. By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. What a, a summary there as we close out that first, um, as we close out that first section of revenge and, and retaliation uh, when uh, we look at those verses of, of Paul's on marks of a, of a true Christian, which line up very well with what we're talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> in in the second portion, uh, loving your enemies, in verses 43 through 48, we see in this text, as with most of this text from the Sermon on the Mount, it is not difficult to understand, just difficult to live. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, pretty, pretty easy to understand, but hard to do. Verse 43 says, you have heard it said, again, those words, Jesus taking the, um, the, the approach and what these words and law really means, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Mosaic law commanded, you should love your neighbor. It's very clear in Leviticus 19.18. Yet some teachers in the days of Jesus, added an opposite and evil misapplication. They just added it, added it there, which was to hate your enemy. Uh, nothing, um, nothing at all like the, the, the law to love your, love your neighbor in Leviticus. The Jews typically looked on all uncircumcised as, as, their, um, as not their neighbors, but their enemies, whom the law did not even require them to love. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We see Jesus demonstrating this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Jesus told the parable in answering the question of the Jew, Jewish lawyer, an expert in the law, when he asked, when he asked that question, who, who is my uh, neighbor? Uh, in Luke 10, 25 through 29, uh, the, this, this lawyer stood up uh, and put Jesus to the test. This is after, uh, this is after Jesus had, had given him the, the law boiled down into loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the lawyer uh, says, well, who, who, is, who, who is my neighbor? He said to him, um, how do you read it? And he answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, again challenged Jesus with that. And then we know the story, um, the good Samaritan that was hated by the faithful Jews. Um, he, He would have been just ostracized. Hated, but who was the one that ended up showing the love to this man and the hero of the story? It, it was the Samaritan. So, you know, we, when we ask our, ourselves the question, who, who would our enemy be? Think about any, anyone that wishes bad against us or that works against us. Um, works evil against us, or you, or you against them. This doesn't have to be an action. It can be in, in the heart or, or from the heart. We like to pretend we don't have any, any enemies, but Jesus tells us we, we will and we do. It says in Matthew 10, and you'll be hated for my namesake, but one who endures to the end will be saved. Have you noticed this progression from turning the other cheek which is no retaliation to insults, to loving your enemy, and then doing something kind for them. What an unnatural response. But in doing so, we are proving that we are one of his, that we, we belong to God. It's not a natural response to show love to our enemies. Jesus is not telling us uh, we should do what we feel like doing. He's telling us to show love whether we feel like it or not. Love is a choice, not a feeling. When we do good toward others, we found our our heart changing toward that person. You should, uh, if you haven't tried that, try that. That that works. Praying for somebody uh, that you have something against or have had something against for, try praying for that person for 30 days. Your heart, your heart will begin to follow your, your actions in doing that. We cannot show love with a victim mentality. You may actually be a victim, but you can transcend that mindset by actively, by actively loving instead of just sitting around just being hurt. Romans 12, 7 says, Repay no one for evil, but give, uh, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We tend to think the solution is for the other person who have, who's wronged us to change. Don't dwell on that. Just show them acts of love anyway. The best way to destroy our enemies is to make them our friends. Remember, these instructions pertain, again, we're talking to personal relationships in the life of disciple, not for civil government. We certainly don't want police turning the other cheek or, or judges 
not punishing anyone. So um, it's, it's, we need to be careful not to confuse, confuse these. Verse 45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and send, sends rain on the just and the unjust. In doing this, we are imitating God who shows love towards his enemies. God does that by doing just that, by sending the, the rain and the, and the sun and, and the good things we, we have uh, that we all enjoy. God's loving his enemies when he, when he does that. And they would have certainly understand this in this agricultural society. Good weather was all important. Um, there were righteous farmers who would be considered God's friends, and then there were unrighteous farmers who would, wouldn't be considered his friend, but God's enemies. But regardless of the farmer's disposition toward God, God gives good rain and sunshine to, to both farmers. It's a, it is an example of how God loves. God makes no distinction between the evil and the righteous. In this instance, he gives good gifts to both of them. There will be a time of judgment in the future, but until then, God graciously gives good things to the just and, and the unjust. God's kindness is shown to all men. We read in Romans 2, 2 4, his kindness is intended to lead people to repentance. You know, through his goodness, through his kindness, wicked people who mock him and even deny his existence will still get to enjoy things like good weather and food and love of family and many other things. Since God is so generous with his enemies, then we should be as well. And what an example, what an example for us. Verse 46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? God expects more of his people than, than those who aren't his people. He just does. There's a lower expectation from God for those that don't belong to him. We should not expect a non-believing world to live like believers. And, and he, he says here, don't even tax collectors do the same. In Jesus' day, we know that they were despised as a traitor and a thief, um, you know, loving your own group. And, and hating others was, was normal behavior for them. Jesus is calling disciples to something more than normal behavior. Remember, Jesus was teaching the character of the citizens of, of the kingdom. We should expect that char character to be different from the character seen in the world. There are many good reasons why more should be expected from Christians than others. A couple of those we claim and do, in fact, have something that others do not. We're re renewed. We're repentant. We're redeemed by Christ. We have a power that others don't have. We do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We have a better future than others do. All those, um, all those are ad advantages and things that we have as believers. Uh, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is an amazing statement. Um, if a man could live as preached so far, he would be perfect. And that's, uh, you know, we, we would be. But we, we would never hate or slander or speak evil of another person. 
We would never lust in our hearts or we would never covet anything. We would never make a false oath and always be completely truthful. He would let God defend the personal rights and not take it upon himself to defend those rights. He would always love his neighbor and even his enemies. If a man could do what Jesus said here, he would truly have been had that righteousness greater than the scribes and Pharisees, which is said, which is what we would have to have in, in Matthew 5:20. The very thing we must have to enter God's kingdom. But there is only one man who has lived like this, Jesus Christ. So where does that leave the rest of us? Are we left out of the kingdom of God? Fortunately, the answer is no. We, we have seen in chapter 5 of this sermon that, that Jesus was not primarily seeking to show how God requires the Christian to live in his daily life. Yes, Jesus revealed his ultimate standard and the attitude of the heart of a Christian. He did that. But his primary intent was to say, if you want to be righteous by the law, you must keep the whole law, internal and external, and that is you must be perfect. Jesus has demonstrated that we need a righteousness that is apart from the law because we just because we can't be. We can't be perfect. Romans 3, 21 and 22 makes that clear. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it or they confirm it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, Jew and Gentile. It goes on in verse 23, that familiar verse. For all ascend and fall short of the, of the glory of God. Our current relation to the law exposes us as guilty sinners who can never make righteous by doing good works. The greatest thing Jesus ever did was to die on the cross for the sin of humanity. He took our sin, our, our, our guilt and our shame and put it on him at the cross. It is interesting in this uh, greatest sermon um, ever preached, he never mentions the cross in these verses five, five through seven, or these chapters five through seven. He was, he was preparing people for what he would have to do on the cross. Remember, this was early in his ministry, and he had uh, to ruin the confidence of good works in, in, in these followers and even in his closest followers. When it comes to understanding the interpretation and the demands of the law, we, dealt, we, we do well to remember another aspect of Jesus' teaching on the law in focusing on the command to love God and our neighbor. We will rightly understand the demands and the details of, of the law when we truly do that. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, and, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Apostle Paul wrote much the same thing in 1 Timothy 1.5. We read, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. 
That's 1 Timothy 1.5. In summary of this section on Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and this area we've been in the last, in the last couple of weeks, we should remember this is what all Scripture is pointed to. In all these examples, a superficial observance to the letter of the law has given way to this radical search for the true will of God. Jesus, in his sovereign authority, he's saying over and over, but I say to you, I, I say to you, this, this is what the, the law says, and you're not looking at it correctly. This is what I say, getting to the heart, uh, getting, getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus reveals the radical alternative value scale we must display as his disciples. Okay, let me let me go ahead and uh, let me go ahead and pray. Uh, close us in prayer, and then uh, Stan, Stan will come and do the prayer time. Father, we <clears throat> do come before you again, Father, just. Uh, Humbly, Father, with uh, humble hearts as we look at passages like we, we read today, Father, uh, read this evening, knowing, Father, that we, we can't be perfect. Only you can be perfect, Father, and we know that. But, but, Father, you have also told us that we can have the mind of Christ. We can have the attitude of Christ, uh, and we, we desire that as believers, and Father, when we, when we search that out, when we ask for that, Father, when we're sincere about growing in that, in, in our faith, Father, um, we, we will, and we will become more like you. We will conduct ourselves with more of the attitude of Christ when we look at these hard things like uh, love, loving our, our enemies and not retaliating when, uh, when we're insulted or things done against us, but Father, we, we will be able to, able to show the, the love of Christ um, when, when those things happen to us. And Father, I just pray as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount and as we look at, um, Father, what you're, what you're telling us, in, which is look at our heart, examine our hearts. I pray that we would do that as we continue to, to walk through this sermon together. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.